When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello and welcome. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 406 of Sustainable Minimalists, a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, in honor of Difficult Decisions Week, I'm speaking with two climate migrators. Extremely hot zones like the Sahara Desert currently cover less than 1% of the Earth's land surface. But climate scientists estimate that by the year 2070, extremely hot zones could cover nearly a fifth of inhabitable land. So 1%? That number is going to jump to 20% by the year 2070. Many people around the globe will suffer and perhaps adapt, but many others will be forced to move. Now, this estimation, by the way, 1% to 20%, it says nothing about the prevalence of extreme weather events in susceptible areas, the hurricanes, the droughts, the wildfires. I could go on and on. But again, if we're to believe the climate scientists, These extreme weather events are slated to increase in both frequency and intensity in the coming years and decades. I believe we're in the beginning stages of a mass climate migration, and we see these climate migrations, at least in the moment, happening subtly and voluntarily. The people who are moving at this moment in time are deeply privileged. There are reports of wealthy Californians buying up property in the Midwest just in case. And so again, at the moment, these migrations are by and large proactive. But I do wonder what will happen when mass migrations on the large and global scale are reactive out of an in-the-moment necessity. This is another thought that keeps me up at night, by the way. But it is Difficult Decisions Week on this podcast, and today I am speaking with two women about their difficult decisions to pack up and move, albeit proactively. Kelsey and her partner purchased a second home over 1,700 miles away from their primary residence in Arizona, and Kath left New Orleans because Hurricane Ida was passing through. She left. She never returned. Ladies, I am so thrilled to have you both on the show today. Kelsey, I'm hoping you'll start us off. Tell us who you are, what you do, and why you decided to purchase a second home in Wisconsin. 
Sure. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. My name is Kelsey Wharton. I am a podcaster as well and a writer. I co-host the Girl Next Door podcast, and I write personal essays on my blog, which is at risingshining.com. I'm also married. I have three kids, ages 10, 8, and 3. And so we do live in Gilbert, Arizona. It is a suburb of Phoenix, and we've lived here for about 15 years. I'm not originally from here, but came here after graduate school. And my husband and I pay close attention to climate change, news about climate effects that might be affecting us, and have just found over the years seeing more and more articles that are increasingly alarming about our dwindling water supply and about increasing temperatures. And when we read the specifics about our water levels going down in Lake Mead and about all of the fighting over the Colorado River water, that has just left us feeling like we need to possibly think of a plan B. We thought about that for a really long time and just had this idea that one day we should purchase a home or a property somewhere that is more climate resilient. And I would say a couple of years ago, just a confluence of, I think, reading over the summer, we see the lake levels going down. We see more and more about water supply, about increasing heat. And at the same time, my husband was reading more articles about how climate resilient the Midwest is predicted to be. And so we were thinking, okay, maybe one day that's going to be our area. About summer 2021, we started to really look for houses in earnest and look around the Midwest to identify where we might want to buy a house. Anyway, we settled on Eau Claire and we ended up purchasing a second home there. Wow. I'm stressed out just thinking about owning a home that's far enough away that I have to take a plane to get to. That sounds very stressful to me, but go you. Congratulations. Thank you. I will say so. It's really a really interesting kind of almost like it feels like this meant to be thing because my dad is a realtor or he's retired now, but was his entire life. And so I think I have just homes, property management, investment property almost in my blood, I would say. And so that part of it just feels familiar to me and didn't feel scary. And I also had him to ask questions to and whatnot. And I think just by the time we were buying our house, we had done such, I think, diligent research, feeling so good about purchasing in Eau Claire. We knew it would hold its value. We had a plan like we'll have a long-term tenant in there for a while. If we need it, we'll hire a property manager. So luckily it didn't seem too daunting. Have you seen anything change with regard to home prices in the area? I know the housing market is doing some interesting things right now, but has it been a good investment? It has been. Yes, it has already increased over what we purchased it for. I would say not like significantly, but a bit. And I think it's pretty much tracking with the overall just housing market in the country. I'm expecting Eau Claire to just be a solid investment. One more question for you, Kelsey, and then we'll move over to Kath's story. I'm wondering, is there anybody in your life any family members, friends who just think you're completely crazy for buying a home in Wisconsin and citing climate change as, if not your main reason, then one of your main reasons? 
Actually, it is just the opposite. And I have been so surprised at the number of friends here locally and in in other places and hearing from blog readers and podcast listeners of how many people have said doing something just like that is on my mind. And that sounds so smart. And so that's been honestly just really surprising to me that the more I share my story, the more I hear of more people that are thinking along those lines. I think if you're paying attention and living in Phoenix, it has to give you some worry to look at our water supply levels, to look at the increasing heat. We just had a brutal summer of a month over over a month, I think, of temperatures over 110 degrees. And so anyway, that's been surprising and I think encouraging and validating to me. And both of our, both of our parents, my husband's parents live here. And so if we ever did relocate, we would be leaving them and that would be really hard, but they have been so supportive and the same thing, just saying, no, we get it. Hmm. Kath, it's your turn. Whereas Kelsey perhaps took one step, dipped a toe perhaps into climate migration. You jumped full in, you picked up and you packed up your life and you moved. Talk to us about the events leading up to your move from your leaving New Orleans. I grew up there. My dad's family settled there. Climate change issues have been ongoing, but there's a fatigue as well as hurricane fatigue that I witnessed with my family members where people don't necessarily want to evacuate or don't trust that the weather reporter is as sure about things as they get. I started college in New Orleans and Hurricane Ida was coming. I had a friend that was like, come on up and we'll get you a job. But I also Googled Environmental Engineering Cincinnati and they have an excellent program at Cincinnati State. And I just fell into that because I felt like I finally found my people. And I've been doing that for two years now. So I just want to make sure I'm understanding, Kath. Did you leave because of Hurricane Ida or did you leave because Cincinnati State had an educational program? You were interested or both? It was an ongoing thing where I was like, I just need to get out of the South. And Hurricane Ida was basically like, you don't have a choice. You need to go now or you're going to be stuck here, which is what happened. Um, most of my friends didn't have power for over a month. And then the school just happened to be a perfect way for me to land here and establish something. And that's why I wanted, I thought it was important to share my story because there are a lot of people in my age or younger, I'm 31, that might be considering like, do I see a future here? Can I afford to own a home and pay for insurance? Cause that's skyrocketing as well. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And you bring up a really important point, which is skyrocketing home insurance premiums. And that's if in certain locations you can even get home insurance. I know that two major providers in California just said, we're not giving out anymore um, because the cost for them in a climate change ravaged state is just not worth it. And I know that's not just happening there. It's happening in Florida. It's happening elsewhere. Same question that I posed to Kelsey, I'll give to you, Kath. With regard to your family and friends living still in Louisiana, do they think you're crazy for moving north and citing climate change as one of the reasons you're doing so? 
I believe some of my family thought it was dramatic, the risk to just take all my belongings and move away. I'm sure some of them are watching me to see how that played out. And I'm sure that a lot of people see that I'm doing so well now and think, okay, maybe I can imagine a different future that isn't just staying here because the weather is unbearable in Louisiana this year. They had a drought. And then they have all they have fires in Louisiana now too, when it used to be like the wettest place. Now it's really dry. So I think as time moves on, people begin to see these clues or patterns. And hopefully I led by example. When we talk about moving for climate, the Midwest usually comes up. Places in the Northern Hemisphere, the more North, the better. Because And there's a lot of reasons. People much smarter than me say the colder places, yes, they will get hotter, but they'll still remain inhabitable as the globe warms. Also, those people much smarter than me suggest that you find some place with an ample supply of fresh water. The Great Lakes are in the Midwest. That's a big draw. But we have to talk about the privilege issue. And Kelsey, you're first. Just the fact that we're even having this conversation means that we have immense privilege. When things get a little rough, we can just pack up and either move or buy a second place. I don't know what the question is here, but I feel we need to talk about it because there are millions of people in the world. So we're talking about America, but if we broaden our lens and think worldwide, there are millions of people on this planet who are experiencing the effects of climate change every single day and cannot get up and move. So do you have any thoughts? Sure. Being incredibly privileged and wealthy in terms of just in comparison to the average American household is something that I am definitely very well aware of, something my husband and I talk a lot about. And it is something that I do think all of us should be talking more about. I guess I... I I do think that is incredibly privileged. And I think then for anyone who does have that privilege and does have that financial ability to relocate to a place or to buy a second home as my husband and I did, I think as anyone would have an obligation to be a good citizen and a good neighbor coming into a place. I really think about that and have thought about that as we've gotten to know Eau Claire and thinking about coming in and first getting to know the city, not coming in and saying, oh, it should be this way, or you don't have this like we have, things like that. Getting to know our neighbors on a personal level, which we have gotten to do and found them to be just overwhelmingly welcoming and a a place that we are enjoying being part of the community from the time that we have spent up there. And so I think that is really important. I think it is something too that municipalities in places that are more climate resilient, where more people might be moving there, I hope are being thoughtful about affordable housing. I think people should be able to relocate because of climate change or for any reason. Of course, people are relocating every day to many different places. And I think it is just something to keep talking about and to keep being thoughtful about. You bring up some really important points there. And I'll just say, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the fact that We are in the beginning stages of what I believe to be mass climate migration. So if we're, if again, we're keeping our conversation to America only, those with, again, privilege 
are likely going to be moving to climate havens more and more as their original locations become more and more uncomfortable, let's say. And so I find myself wondering what is going to happen to these climate havens as thousands, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, who knows, move to them. And Duluth, Minnesota is always thrown out as the climate haven. It's in the Midwest. It's on a Great Lake. And already, even though we're at the beginning of this mass climate migration, already the influx of climate migrators have pushed housing prices up and local residents out. It's that time. It's time for our sponsor break, but we'll continue this conversation in a quick minute. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we're back. Today we're talking about climate migrations. I have two guests. I have Kath with us. She is a sustainable minimalist listener. She's a part of our community. I also have Kelsey. She is the co-host of the Girl Next Door podcast. And I must say, I met Kelsey through a sustainable minimalist listener. She listens to both our shows. I put up a Instagram story. I said, is anybody thinking about moving due to climate concerns? Not only did one listener connect us, but also hundreds of listeners responded to this question I put up on my stories saying that they have not yet moved, but they're seriously considering it. So this is a very prevalent topic, in my opinion. Kath, I know you said in Cincinnati you're seeing 
housing prices do some wonky things. Can you talk more about that? Cincinnati is on the Ohio River, and then we have Northern Kentucky right there, too. They're overlapping when it comes to people who live and work across each side of it. So developers are like buying subsidized housing, pushing people out, and then putting high-value, really high-gentrified things that are out of range for normal working-class people. So then those people are getting pushed out further into the country. And then those areas are developing a lot of suburban development that is putting more pressure on our resources like our clean water. I know that Westchester, Ohio is like northeast of where I I live right now. And they're one of the highest growing areas in the greater Cincinnati area. And they're basically worried that they might not be able to have enough water or groundwater recharge will not be fast enough. And so I I hope that they have people in government thinking about this stuff, but I'm worried that it's very growth focused without thinking about like, okay, how are all these people going to be commuting? Is everyone commuting into the greater Cincinnati or metro area of Cincinnati and then coming out? The traffic is really intense. What I took away from your answer there, Kath, is that it's important to keep in mind and wonder whether the place we're potentially considering moving to has the resources and can hold an influx of people, right? Can this place, wherever it is, accept thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands more people? I think that's a really important thing to consider for anybody listening who's considering a climate migration. Kelsey, I'll ask you first, what other factors do you think listeners who are hearing our conversation right now should consider as they potentially, perhaps, consider a climate move? I can talk a little bit about what some of the factors were for us and maybe two what we're looking for that would make us think, okay, it might be time to relocate permanently. I do have a couple of blog posts that I wrote about when we were looking for where we might buy a second home, why we were considering it and the different criteria for a city. And if that's something you want to share in your show notes, I think that could be helpful to listeners. But in terms of thinking about where you might move, thinking about first where you or where your family, the kinds of things that you enjoy, whether it's bigger city, smaller city, access to outdoors. For us, it was important to feel like there was a vibrant downtown, to have a good selection of restaurants, activities for our family. And just another thing that we saw in Eau Claire that gets to the questions and points that you were bringing up is noticing what the local government is doing in terms of future development and planning for growth. Every city is planning for growth, or hopefully they should be. And are they factoring in climate change, either climate migrants or hopefully just how climate change will be impacting their area, the water, the heat, wildfires, things like that. And so seeing evidence of that, I think would be very promising. In terms of for us, what we are thinking about that would make us think, okay, it might be time to actually relocate, paying attention to just how climate change is affecting your area, water, heat, 
fires, natural disasters, hurricanes, like Kath is talking about, and just be tapped in to what the current status is. And maybe thinking through, okay, if this kind of happens, these are some of my red flags. For us, we have heard talk that in some summer, there could be planned rolling brownouts or blackouts because of the heat, because of the the load on our electricity grid. And so for us, that's something that if that comes to fruition, that is a big red flag to us. If the grid can't sustain, that definitely means that a lot of things are going on. So I would say just things like that, that I would recommend anyone just be thinking about what should you be paying attention to? And maybe just thinking through okay, things are predicted to get worse. So even if we're not planning to move now, even if we're not in a position to be buying a second home somewhere, what area might we look in? Maybe just identify where that might be so that if things get a little bit worse, you already have done some pre-planning and can continue down that path. So one more question for you, just because I'm curious, Kelsey. Are you concerned or thinking at all about your Arizona's home value? Because I'm wondering whether by the time these scheduled blackouts or brownouts that you mentioned come, what that's going to do to your current home's value. You get to probably the exact thing that my husband and I talk about and worry about the most. And my husband, he's even drawn this like little graph and he's like, this would be the point where our home still has value because lots of people are moving to the area. Our house value from when we bought it 15 years ago has just gone up ridiculous. So that's our biggest fear of these climate impacts coming to fruition in a way that suddenly our house is losing value and we've just lost one of our biggest assets that would allow us to relocate somewhere. Being able to buy our second home, which was something that we were able to do after just years of saving and being able to make that happen, that does give us peace of mind. But of course, that would be a, just a huge financial loss for us if like, we couldn't sell our house or couldn't get any money out of our house. And so that that is exactly what I'm talking about, trying to identify some of those early red flags that will help us identify that time to move before we've lost value in our house. I, I think that is really one of our one of our biggest fears and just a fear of how fast something could happen because you can imagine if we keep having a couple more summers of brutal heat like this or if it comes with the potential for rolling blackouts or if Lake Mead drops to Deadpool level which you, if you just Google that at all. And you can see lots of very alarming photos and just see we're in a, a 22 year decline. That's a big source of water. That's a big source of hydroelectricity. Anyway, you can imagine big businesses that are located here might say, you know what? We, we need to cut and run. If the economy starts being impacted, house values will be impacted. So anyway, trying to think through those domino effects and hopefully be paying attention enough that we're not 
caught in a tough place, but it feels hard. And I will just say, some people might say, why are you still living there at all? If there's all these worries, all these potential things. And I will say to my husband, Chris, sometime, like, if only it wasn't so dang pleasant to live here and we didn't have so many great friends and such a great community, it would be so easy to leave because we really have found such a wonderful community here and love so many things about it. And so it's not just as easy. And I totally get that for anyone considering it. It's not, it's not just easy to leave a place that you love many things about and certainly to leave family and friends. Yeah, that's such an important point. You have roots there, right? <laughs> and the roots make it hard to just get up and leave. I will say here too, my family vacations every February on the coast of Florida, just slightly north of Miami, right on the water, beautiful place. However, the prognosis for Miami (laughs) is not looking great. It's expected to be majority underwater in the next 100 years. And yet, Americans historically move towards heat and towards coastlines, towards ocean. The real estate market down there continues to boom, high rises continue to be constructed. And so I always find myself wondering, like, where is the tipping point when buying in this area that is going to be majority underwater? When is that no longer a solid investment? Or for the people even living there, when is it time to go to recoup some of my investment? I have one more question, and I'm going to pose it to both of you. Maybe, Kelsey, you can go first. Globally, it is estimated that by the year 2070, 19%, so let's just round that up for sake of easy numbers, 20% of what is currently inhabitable land on the global scale, 20%, so a fifth of the world, (laughs) will become uninhabitable. That, to me, says mass migrations, personally. So what would you say to anybody listening who's considering a voluntary climate migration right now or in the next five years before it becomes an involuntary one? I guess I would just say to anyone that if you are thinking about it, if you are in a place of privilege, it is a privilege to be able to even consider that and to be able to maybe put things together where you can get a job lined up or you get to choose which city you might go to because you're not being pressed. You don't have to go right now that I know for us since having this house, it continues to bring me such peace of mind. And I think that if you are worried about climate change, if you're seeing the effects in your area and you are in a position to be able to make that move, I I just I think that it will bring you a lot of peace of mind. It is scary to think about, but making that move at a time when you can and not because you have to would be a very incredible thing to be able to do. I would say too, if you have children or are considering having children in the future, our kids are one of the reasons that we wanted to buy a house elsewhere In 2070, I will be, I think, in my late 80s, still doing great, (laughs) I presume. But thinking about 
what world are we leaving our kids and thinking about being able to leave our for our kids to potentially have a place, whether we fully relocated there or they're comfortable there and are familiar with it to have a, a place where they have roots and or to have a property that we can pass down to them, not just generational wealth, but like climate generational wealth just feels very incredible to be able to do. And I think it's something that we need to think more about. So that's another factor too, not even how old you might be in 2070, but what will your family look like? What about your kids? What about your grandkids? What will the world look like for them? Hmm. Yeah. And I'll just say too, a lot of our conversation today was about investments and finances. But if we believe the climate scientists these storms, these natural disasters are going to increase in frequency and keyword intensity. So it's not, in my view, just about finances and investments. It's also about human health and safety. So I just want, I needed to get that in because, yeah, it's important to have something to leave to our children, but it's also important that we all stay alive. Same question, Kath. What would you say to a listener who's considering a voluntary climate migration now before it becomes perhaps an involuntary one? I'm in school for environmental engineering, so I'm learning about air quality and pollution, the water cycle, as well as how harmful chemicals in the environment can affect people. So I would suggest just like learning, like the more uh, confused and scared that you are, the more that knowledge will soothe that because you'll feel more capable of making the right decisions when you do that. The point that you made about how just moving, everyone moving north isn't going to be the perfect solution for everyone because we need to figure out how these cities are going to be able to deal with the population growth. And we have an infrastructure crisis. So this is a really good book called The Creeks Will Rise by William S. Becker, and he slowly gets you into the idea of what does ethical relocation look like through the political science and environmental policy lens. So uh, that's how I, I that's how I soothe my anxiety is, okay, I need some information. <laughs> that's how I soothe my anxiety as well, is I scour the news headlines, national, global, and local. And it sounds like, Kelsey, you do too. In Arizona, Lake Mead, the scouring of the news is what's going to tell you <laughs> whether it's time to go and when, I think. So that's a great place to leave it. Stay educated. Keep paying attention, even though the headlines are scary and even though those headlines give us, or at least me, insane amounts of climate anxiety. So Kelsey and Kath, I want to thank you so much for giving me your time today. I wish you both so much success. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 406. I do have some further reading in there if you want to 
dive a little deeper in today's topic. Quick plug for ratings and reviews. If you like the show, if you receive benefit, if you think I'm kind of cool, please take a minute and leave a quick rating and or review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you listen on one of those other players and they have a rating or review area, please just take the 60 seconds and support the show in that way. It's free, but it is extremely impactful. It helps this show reach more listeners, and it makes me smile. So thank you so much. We will be back tomorrow for headlines. I will see you then. As always, reach out if you need me. By the way, thank you for those of you who emailed me. There was a lot of you. You emailed me. You really enjoyed Tuesday's conversation about family planning in the era of climate change. You all were so nice, and I'm so happy I was able to provide that content for you. So thank you so much. Reach out if you need me. I'll see you tomorrow, and take care.